John 13. And um, I did not get finished last Sunday night. I know that you think, my goodness, Pentecostals, they don't pick up and do series, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick up where I left off. Um, and we also have a senior quizzer who I'm going to let remain anonymous because they don't like attention. I've gotten some text messages saying I need to mention that anonymous quizzer, but there was an anonymous quizzer on the senior team who also did very well, and uh, I'll let y'all figure out who that was. Uh, I was going to take their advice and say they didn't want anything said about them, but I got some text messages, so I'm going to blame it on the people I got to text messages from um, John chapter 13 I'd like to begin in verse 31 John writes therefore when he was gone out Jesus said now is the Son of Man glorified. God is glorified in Him. If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify Him in Himself and shall straightway glorify Him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, and ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Then I'd like for you to turn over to 1 John chapter 2. Is a similar passage to this one in John 13. 1 John chapter 2. And I would like to start in verse 7. The Bible says there, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which he had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded 
his eyes. And um, pray the Lord will help us here tonight. Let's ask the Lord to minister to our minds. Lord, we're thankful, Jesus, for your presence. Lord, I feel a, a spirit of fellowship. I feel, Lord, a, a sense, God, of reverence. I'm thankful, Lord, for God, this church to be able to gather in. I ask you, Lord, tonight, touch our minds. Lord, cleanse our spirits. Renew, Lord, a right spirit. Create in us clean hearts. I ask you, Lord, tonight, God, let your word have free course. Help it, Lord, to find fertile soil so that it would help us, God, to be greater men and women for your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, just simply as a, as a text, I would, uh, <clears throat> a title rather, I would like to just continue where uh, that I was at last uh, Sunday night, and I'm preaching about the upper room principles. I'll talk to you about the greatest mark of discipleship. Again, perhaps maybe redundant, but John 13 through 17 is what I refer to as the upper room principles. 155 verses somewhere around 4,000 words, and these were the words that the Lord spoke to his disciples uh, before he was crucified. And the words there, again, I mentioned them to you, that uh, in John 13, they're very closely mirrored to what John would write at a later point in his life in the epistle to John whenever he was actually addressing the church there at Ephesus. If you're not aware of that, John uh, did serve later on after Paul had established that church there. He served as a pastor as the church there at Ephesus. He served there. Uh, Timothy served there. It was a long-standing church and it was a solid church that when you get to Revelation chapter 2, you're aware of the strength that that church had because of its commitment to sound doctrine. But yet whenever we get to this part, in, and I want to not so much address what Jesus said in John 13, but rather what Jesus or what John wrote to us in 1 John chapter 2. There's something about it, and I have have mentioned it before, that if you want real proof to know whether or not that you really love God and whether that there has really been a true work of the Spirit in your life, then there are some things that you can see that's in First John that would help you to understand whether or not you are truly walking with the Lord. You can call them tests. You can call them proofs. You can call them evidences, but here they are. Do you keep the commandments of the Lord? Do you love your brother? Is there spiritual growth that's taking place in your life? And then 
in 2, 15 through 17, there is always that part where that we talk about that uh, the command was to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Do we love this world? And then we go on and we see that there is a guarding against Antichrist or even false teachers. And then verses 24 through 27, does the gospel, does it abide in you? Is it evident in your life? And then the last test that you find there is the one in verses 28 and 29 in as are you as Jesus would say in John 15 are you abiding in the branch are you uh are are rather the vine the branches that are connected uh to that and whenever you start looking at at my place at your place in the kingdom of God that there are things that, that we can observe in Scripture that would, that would bring to us more than just emotion, more than just a sentimental uh, attitude or thought, but we can look at that and we can ask ourselves the question, are we really firmly planted in the church of God? What is so capturing about this whole process that, that John writes about is that John now is speaking about love. And if you remember back in the Gospels, there was a time where that, that uh, they run into some people and those people were not doing it exactly the way that, that James and John, the brothers, thought that they should be doing that. And, and they asked the Lord to call fire down from heaven. And the Lord looked at them and he called them by uh, a surname, Boanerges, which uh, was later determined to be called that they were the sons of thunder. And so now it is that John, in his elder years, that I don't know if we say that he's mellowed out. I don't know that I necessarily like to use that term, but uh, I would rather think of it in this way, is that John has had more spiritual maturity to take place in his life, and there is a development that the Spirit and the Word has had in his life. And so therefore, he can now, instead of wanting to call, call fire down from heaven on somebody and I know you may I know y'all have never thought that or had that you never wanted to call fire down from heaven on anybody nor did you want anything bad to happen but I have to tell you there's been a time or two that I have have uh, even somewhat maybe oriented my prayers toward that and said Lord you could easily take care of this if the fire would just come down from heaven Let's look here at this at these at these verses. Look in verse seven of first John chapter two. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. I don't know if you're familiar with the character of an individual, he's dead now by the name of Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde wrote a book uh, called, and it's considered somewhat of a classic, The Picture of, of Dorian Gray. And he talks about how that this man lived his life. It's not really graphic. There's no uh, what you would consider 
it's, it's not a bad book, but he just talks about a man that gets on a path that does everything he can to do to live toward the debauchery and toward the things of fulfilling his flesh in the world. And his chief pursuit of life was a maddening pursuit of pleasure and and uh, he drank his way to that. He used cocaine to try to get to that part. He lived in the 1800s and, and, uh, and once he got to the place of his deathbed, he literally was, was at a point where that he was physically wasted away and, and he come to realize at that point that every pursuit that he had found or gotten involved in that, that it had led to his own demise. It's ironic that as he was there uh, on his deathbed that there was somewhat of an awakening of his conscience that he began to realize that he should have turned to the Lord. And that's basically the approach of the people that John was writing to there uh, in Ephesus. There were some people that had tried to influence them and they had tried to tell those people there at Ephesus, it doesn't matter how you live. You can you can do whatever you want to do and everything in the end is going to turn out on its own. That was somewhat of the higher thinking that they were bringing into their day and into their life. And now it's quite remarkable that uh, we find that same pattern is being traced through here in our world today that now some of the higher thinking and some of the, the higher institutions quote of, of higher learning unquote have, have somehow determined that these things that God has set forth are not accurate and they're not right. And they are confused about gender. They're confused about the case of one man and one woman committed to life for marriage. And, and there's a variety of other things that has come along that, that they have begun to try to tear down the principles of the law. But even though they may not say it like John was addressing those people there in Ephesus, their, their mindset has come to the place where that they say that, that these commandments that they do not matter. But John comes along and he begins to instruct the church there. He said, I'm going to tell you, he said, this commandment, he said, it's not new, it's an old commandment. You've had it from the beginning and the old commandment is the word which you heard early on. God has uniquely put into every one of us a conscience or a law that the majority of us know what is right and what's wrong. And so it is that as John begins to speak about this, you, you can think about even some of the, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. The Bible says there, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, again, this old commandment, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then those words, I am the Lord. 
And to love your neighbor, it fulfills the law. And you say, well, how archaic. And and, uh, that doesn't really sound like New Testament principles. But Paul would go on to write there to the church at Rome in Romans 13, beginning in verse number 8. He says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it's briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. And so it is that if there is that part where that we love the Lord and we love the commandments that the Lord has given to us, then there are things that moves into that. Look at what uh, the Lord said in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so what John is doing is he's reaching back into the Old Testament and he's saying, I want to pull something forward. It's an old commandment, but it's a new one at the same time that every spirit-filled believer needs to understand that you need to love your brother. Whenever we don't love our brothers or our sisters, it creates havoc in our lives. Creates havoc in churches whenever people do not love one another. And so John is is using all of these principles that are brought out by the Lord and then or that are brought out by the law, and then they come along and, and the Lord reiterates them. He he begins to speak them, and, and uh, these are strong commitments because there will be times that it will be difficult to love a brother or a sister. But the core of apostolic doctrine, and I say apostolic doctrine, we could use early church doctrine. We could say that, that it fits there, that these are the things that those churches practiced, is that they, that they loved each other. That there was a concern that they had for those things. And today, instead of of being confronted by those that we would call Gnostics, there are those that uh, I suppose you would call them free thinkers. That they say, it doesn't matter how you live your life. And I mentioned this morning from the testimony of a a man that I met three weeks ago, two weeks ago here in our city, that, that he spoke these words. He said, you know, he said, I was in the church. He said, I went to church every Sunday. He said, but I just have to tell you, from Monday to Saturday, he said, I lived like a hellion. Our world and our churches are full of people that have no real mark of conversion in their lives because their experience is only emotional. It's sentimental. It's what grandma believed. It's what grandma or grandpa did. It's it's somehow just something that, that somebody did. But hear me, church, there has got to be something about us that there is a commitment to say that I've got to do everything that the Lord has called me to do. 
Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that, that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I think that the, probably the majority of us, especially you males, in here that if there's some destination that you're going on, that most of the time your choice or your preference is is to get on the interstate and uh, run Interstate 10 or to run 75 or get on 20 because if you get on the wide road, I love to periodically drive, get back to Houston and drive. And, and Lord, forgive me for, I know it's breaking the law. I probably need you all to mute me, but I, I love or go to Atlanta. And there's six or eight lanes, and I mean you are running 80, 85 miles an hour, and everybody's moving and shifting in and out. I just had to, Brother Adam, I love, Brother Adam's a long-haul driver. I, say that again now. That's right. If you like to drive fast, go to Texas. But there's something about it, that, that getting on those roads and just, just running just wide open like that. And uh, several months ago, I had to go down to um, uh, Fort Walton, and, and down we fly these ministers in that come to preach here. We fly them in either to Fort Walton or we fly them into Panama City because we can save anywhere from 100 to $200 by flying them into those airports. And so I, I thought instead of going down 10 and driving real fast, I'm just going to get on one of these roads and wind in around through. And so I went to Bonifay and Chipley and all those roads like that. It's a lot slower. You can't drive as fast. You get behind people. You can't get around. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to tell you what. He said, you better be careful for those wide roads and everybody is just running wide open. I would caution us here tonight as a church and tell you this, that just because everybody may be on the wide road and running wide open, you better keep in mind what the Lord said. He said, it's going to be a narrow way. It's going to be a tight way. It's going to be a way where that, that you may not move as fast as what those others may think that they are going in the right and in the true direction but the path to heaven is going to be that narrow twisting way but let's look at what John says in verse 8 there he talks about the new commandment there uh, he in, in verse 7 he's talking about the old commandment but now in verse 8 he says again a new commandment I write unto you which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth and so John, he comes along and, and he's given that presentation and you can ask yourself the question, well, well, what is new about this old commandment? The answer is found in this one part about looking at the quality of love that's being invested there. And, and for those, of, I hope this is the case for you that the longer you're married, then the more you love that person that you have gotten married to. Because what's happened? Time has moved you into a place where that the quality of love that's in that marriage, 
that, that it's in a, in a greater manner in a greater way. I, I think that probably for those of us that have adult children, I loved my kids whenever uh, they were smaller. And tonight I was was holding little Emmy uh, prior to the service starting. And and uh, ever how many months old she is, I, I, I love her. But you know something there is about it that, that my children, as they've gotten older and adults, there's a connection that I have with them that is even a more of a shored up love that I have for my children than even whenever they were small and whenever they were infants. That's what John was getting at. He was saying that the longer you walk with the Lord, then the more you have to understand that the quality of the relationship Relationship that you have with the Lord is going to be expressed in a greater way. And so now John says it like this. He said, I'm just going to tell you, he said, the quality of, of the Spirit. He said, it's now working in my life. Now, how did that happen? Look there to chapter 1 and verse 1. Here's what John writes. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, obviously, John's in a little bit different position than what we are, but he was talking about the fact that he could get his arms and, and there was an embrace that he had physically with the Lord. But notice what he says. He says, I have handled him. The longer you live for the Lord, the more that you literally handle this thing in the kingdom of God, that there is a walk with the Lord that you ought to get to the point and say, I wouldn't trade this for anything in my life. That's where John's at. That's where that apostle is at. And that new aspect of that, of that old commandment, he's now saying, he's saying, I'm going to tell you, here's what's happened. The darkness has passed and now the true light has really started to get into my heart and into my spirit. And all the darkness that was there, it is now gone. And so now he understands. He said these commandments that have been given to you in the Old Testament, they're reiterated in some places. Paul reiterated the Ten Commandments there in Romans 13. But, but keep in mind what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43, you've heard it that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. A new commandment presents a whole new idea of what love for God is really all about. Because here's what it's talking about. Love is, is given not only to friends, but now that higher level is being extended to enemies. He's talking about a love that, that is conveyed not only to good people, but there is a part that's even provided to bad people. Love is given not just to the righteous, but love is given to those that, that are sinners. And love is expressed to the, to the acceptable and also to the rejected. Love is given to the clean and love is given to the dirty. A number of years ago, I, I know that 
And maybe you're not like this, but I, I'm I'm given toward. Sometimes you give into retribution. You you feel like if somebody has been done unjust, then then you want to uh, you want them to get there as, as Shakespeare said, their pound of flesh. You want something to somehow for life to take care of it. And if you're not careful, then there can be a root of bitterness that can get inside of your heart and your spirit. And the best thing you can do is to pray that stuff out. And say, God, release me of this. A number of years ago, my wife endured a horrific trial in her life. It had to relate to a place of secular employment. And uh, I have to admit, there, there, were, there were more than, than one prayer times that I had to spend trying to pray my feelings out. And here recently, within the last couple of years, uh, my wife went to a funeral and uh, whenever she got to that funeral there, she ended up sitting down right next to one of the villains. And uh, my wife is sweet and kind and pointing at me right now. But anyway, she sat down next to one of the villains. And uh, here's what had taken place. You take your hands off of things and let the Lord deal with them. Then God takes care of that. And this person's health had almost totally been destroyed. And it's like they had aged. They may have been a certain age, but they looked 25, 30 years older than what they were there. That's what John's getting at. He's saying leave those things alone that, that if there is a determination in your heart that, that you feel like, hey, I, I'd really like to see that person end up in a place. And John is saying, I want you to remember what the Lord said, that you're going to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I'm telling you that you love your enemies. That's the challenge of the Holy Ghost. Now, I know this is not revival preaching. I know this is not preaching to get people up and to get them out of their seats and to get them running and going like we like to do sometimes in Pentecostal churches. But listen to me. This principle that, that John, that Jesus gave, and then John is, is reiterating. I'm going to tell you what. It'll take care of your mind. It'll fix your mental health. It, it'll fix so many things in your life if you can let it go and if you can forgive because the longer that you hang on to it, it just can eat out the inside of your heart and your spirit. It doesn't hurt the person that's offended you, but it ruins relationships around you. And John was coming along and he was saying, I want you to understand this part right here that you love people even though that it is challenging to do sometimes. But the Lord, John 13, 1, he loved them to the end. He loved Judas. He washed the feet of Judas knowing that Judas was going to walk out and that Judas was going to betray him. And yet the Lord modeled a love for Judas. And John's like, I can't wrap my mind around that. But every aspect of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ was demonstrated at the Last Supper. Think about this for a moment. At the Last Supper, just very a few hours before the Lord was, was about to be crucified, 
his disciples, his lieutenants, his men that he was going to leave everything in. You know what they were doing? They were arguing about what position that they were going to have in the church. That's horrible. And Jesus heard them. And yet, what did he do? Instead of speaking to that, the Bible says that he descended into the role of a servant. The evidence of true light is when the darkness has been cast aside. And this world will do everything it can to try to get darkness into my soul and try to get darkness into your soul. And yet the Lord, he saw every person. John chapter 10, verses 10 through 16, I won't read those. But the Lord was talking about sheep that were fainting and scattered and in need of a shepherd. And and when you start reading through John 10 and, and you start looking at that, what does the shepherd do? He cares for his sheep. He calls his own sheep by name. He he knows his sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. He gives them eternal life. It's almost like a parent that's taking care of things for their children that are growing up there in their home. And and there needs to be that part that, that we feel that necessity. And again, I mentioned here this morning in the altar service, you have no idea sometimes the battles and the struggles that are going on in the minds and the spirits of the people that sit in front of you or behind you or beside you or across the church from you and sometimes a hand on the back and encouraging word to pray for them is helpful and beneficial in their lives. And Jesus was into that place and yet here's the disclaimer. Nobody can live up to that standard unless they have been born again. You, you cannot have enough behavior modification. You, you can't have enough of, of some kind of moral superiority in your life to say, well, I'm just going to love them because I'm going to love them. You cannot do that. It's only that the love of Christ that moves into your heart and into your spirit. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Now get the picture again of the church there in Thessalonica. This is a church. In fact, all of those churches to a certain degree were under the pressure of persecution. And Paul was coming along and he was saying, you, you're yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And so tonight in this congregation, there's people that are dealing with job pressures. There are people that are dealing with relationships that are in shambles. There's people that are concerned about their health. There's people that have a variety of things that, that, that are in their minds and in their spirits and somehow one of the purposes of the church is that they come along and, and they can express that love. Now, let me, love is not always syrupy and 
and and gummy and and shooting them little you know little blow kisses, little butterfly kisses, and all that kind of stuff. In fact, if one of you men try to give me a butter shoot me a butterfly kiss, I'm gonna look at you and think, oh dear Lord, what's the matter? Okay, so so love isn't always just that syrupy, smooth, whatever. But but listen to me, what is love? It's a concern. It's a stability. It's knowing that that person is there. That whether there's money in the bank or whether there is an overdraft or, or whether there are things that are going well or whether things are not going well, that that person is just going to be one of the most steady things you have in your life. Brother Harold told me years ago, he said, I'm going to tell you something, Brother Harrelson. He said, one of the most important things that you and Brother Patterson can do, you've heard me say this before, most of you have. He said, one of the most important things that you and Brother Patterson can do is to go in there every time at church and you sit down, and now we're over here sitting on the front row, but uh, that your presence, that Brother Patterson and yourself being in that church, he said, sometimes he said, that's the most stable thing that people have in their lives. That I know, it doesn't matter if there's 10 of you here or if there's 200 of you here. Brother Patterson, Brother Harrelson are going to be here. But let me flip that around and put some of that burden on you. But you realize that your presence in the house of God sometimes provides great encouragement to somebody that may be struggling and somebody that may feel like they're going under and they look across the way and they can see, I see sister so-and-so, I see brother so-and-so, that they're there. That's what love looks like. That love is just that steady, solid presence. Then John was speaking of that. He he was saying, I want to tell you something, that, that you must love each other. John inches further. Look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. Here's what he says. He said, this then is the message of him which, you have, which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. The darkness is past, and now the true light is shining. No way to me, for me to convey to you how many times that I have walked in to this sanctuary, and I want to try to call it that. It's not an auditorium, but it's a sanctuary. But to walk into the house of the Lord and just begin to realize that I'm in a place that's filled up with light. I'm in a place that's filled up with the holiness and the presence of God, that I have moved away from darkness, and that darkness cannot capture and get a hold of my life because I am in the presence of God and I'm in the presence of godly men and women. Look there in verse 9, 1 John chapter 2. Here's the test of the new commandment. How is it tested? He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until, until now. 
And now that John has started talking about this old new commandment, he inserts something here. He says, I'm going to tell you something. He said, here is how that you can make a determination whether that you know that somebody is a saint or whether somebody is a pretender. Is their expression of concern and love that they have toward somebody else. This man can profess a lot of things that seemingly put him in the category of being in the church. He can be very religious and he can be lost. He can, he can affirm his belief in God and, and he may have had a bona fide conversion somewhere in his past. He, he can say that, that I have had the new birth. I have been baptized. I have received the Spirit. And he may attend a local assembly and he can worship and pray and read the Bible and do all manner of things that make him seem to be in the light. But John comes along and he says, My brothers, don't be confused. He that saith he is in the light and hates his brother, he's walking around in darkness right now. Which means that if I'm walking in darkness, I'm lost. These are the words of John. And John said that the crucial test is to know whether or not that you love and that there is a concern for a brother or for a sister. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7. I want you to see this in your Bible, not just on the screens, but look in Matthew chapter 7 and look in verse 21. Jesus spoke of this and he warned us that this will be prevalent in the last days. Look at verse 21, Matthew 7. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me you that work iniquity. This mirrors on the fact that in John 13, when Judas was there, you remember whenever the Lord told them, and I'm reiterating some of what I preached a few weeks ago, but, but Jesus looked at him and he said, one of you is going to betray me. Nobody suspected Judas. Not the first one of them. Is it I? Am I the one? And Judas had the seat of honor in the house, and John had the seat of honor in the house, and Peter leans over to John. He says, John, he says, uh, ask the Lord who he's talking about. And John whispers to the Lord, Lord, who, who are you talking about? And Jesus said to the one I'm going to give the sop to. Oh, oh! It, it would, it would never, it never be Brother Harrelson that would backslide. That, he's he's the last one that I that I would think about that would go and do this particular thing or get involved in that particular thing and and move off. But hear me tonight, brothers and sisters. That these words that Jesus give to us is troubling to me. 
because he said they were religious in their performance. I've preached in his name. I've been involved with the casting out of devils. I've seen that. I've participated in that. I've been involved in a variety of things. And yet Jesus says this. I'm going to profess to them. I don't know you. Depart from me. And hinging on that matter is what John says. That if you hate your brother or your sister, you're stumbling around in darkness. Please, church, past hurts, old injustices, long forgotten offenses, turn them off and leave them alone. We are children of God. We've got to walk in the light. You've got to move into the presence of the light because by walking in the presence of the light, there's things the Lord does to your heart and your spirit. Verse 10 tells me about the protection of that light. First John chapter 2, verse 10, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. There's a lot of protection if you'll find the light. I want to uh, want you to turn back in your Bibles to John 15. John chapter 15 and look in verse 1. I am the true vine. My father, he's the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it might bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, and no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And so it is that, that we walk in the light. Now there's a promise here. And it's in that last phrase there, 1 John 2.10. He said, there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Note, note the progression that's in that verse there. Look, look at it. It's love, abide, and safety are closely related. If you walk in the light, you won't stumble. If you're willing to say, Lord, let me walk in your light, you won't stumble. And I realize tonight I am speaking to people that there's been betrayals in your past. There's, there's horrible things that people have, have done to some of you here tonight in this congregation. I just say to you, flee to the light. I didn't say it would be easy. But I tell you tonight, flee to the light.
find a brother or sister and flee and run and head in the direction of the light because there's safety, there's salvation that's in the light. And then John finishes in verse 11. He said, but I'm going to tell you, he said, the benefit of being in the light is that you won't stumble. He said, but, he said, if you choose to walk in darkness, he said, you'll be blinded. Look at what he says there. He said, but he that hateth his brothers in darkness, he walks in darkness. He doesn't know where he's going because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Notice the progression of the verse there again. Hate is found in darkness. The man that hates is in darkness, walks in darkness, loses his sense of direction, and his eyes are blinded. That's the ultimate effect of darkness on a man's soul. He belongs to the darkness. He is controlled by that darkness. And that's what the devil wants. You say, how do you know that? Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, here's what Paul writes. He said, In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see that? The God of this world. Notice Paul doesn't say he's blinded their eyes. He says he's blinded their minds. And the enemy wants nothing more than for you to grapple around and be in darkness. Ephesians 4.18, having the understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. But I conclude with the words in John 13. This great command that was given to the Lord right before he was betrayed into the hands of sinners and was to be crucified. A new commandment, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Love those people that are next to you. Sister Regina, if you could come to the piano. A few weeks ago, I um, attended a, a little Christmas program at Bethel Christian Academy, which is where Asher goes to uh, school. And, and um, all those kids started walking and marching and going. And um, I watched Asher walked down the aisle and I watched him climb the steps and then turn around and look toward us and um, so now as a grandfather 
he just looked so fragile and it was almost like I time warped and went back 30, 25, 26 years ago it was almost like I was be re, re, it was being replayed with Justin and then later with Nate and then with Lauren you parents love your children but on that morning whenever I was watching little Asher it's just a feeling that I had for him that I loved him it was almost like you wanted to go up there and stand with him because of that connection that I had that I loved him I would hope that here in this church that every time we walk in the house of the Lord that those of you that may be elders that you look around and perhaps by the wisdom the discernment of the spirit you're able to look at a younger brother a younger sister that needs your presence in their lives because there is great light that comes to our lives whenever we are willing to love without any strings attached I would like to pray for you our gracious God feel the presence of the spirit and Lord again I have felt the liberty and the authority of, of your word here tonight Lord this is the church that you called me to pastor Lord you called Brother Patterson and myself to pray for this congregation and preach to this congregation I ask you Lord tonight help us Lord to love as shepherds as under shepherds to have concern Lord I wish I could fix things instantly but you did not give me power to do that you gave me power to pray you gave me power to hope to love to encourage and yet Lord that responsibility Lord doesn't just belong to me but it belongs to all of us I pray Lord tonight for this entire congregation help brothers and sisters help families Lord help friends Lord to know that when they walk in this house that Lord that they can feel the love of God through the touch of a brother or sister I pray Lord tonight that you empower us 
Lord, I know that, that we want to, God, see the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the, the healings, the deliverances. And Lord, while those things are part of what we do, I ask you, Lord, to not that you help us, God, to love each other, to bear one another's burdens, and to help people as they are on their way to heaven. I pray, Lord, that on this congregation here tonight, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You're my brother. You're my brother.